Welcome back to the Deeper Dive podcast, Catechism of the Catholic Church in a Year. Today is day number 332, and we begin with number 2605. When the hour had come for him to fulfill the Father's plan of love, Jesus allows a glimpse of the boundless depth of his filial prayer, not only before he freely delivered himself up, Abba, not my will, but yours, but even in his last words on the cross, where prayer and the gift of self are but one. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. I thirst. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Until the loud cry as he expires, giving up his spirit. All the troubles for all time of humanity, enslaved by sin and death, all the petitions and intercessions of salvation history are summed up in this cry of the incarnate word. Here the Father accepts them, and beyond all hope, answers them by raising his Son. Thus is fulfilled and brought to completion the drama of prayer in the economy of creation and salvation. The Psalter gives us the key to prayer in Christ. In the today of the resurrection of the Father, says, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. The letter to the Hebrews expresses in dramatic terms how the prayer of Jesus accomplished the victory of salvation. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, with loud cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard for his godly fear. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. When Jesus prays, he is already teaching us how to pray. His prayer to his Father is the theological path, the path of faith, hope, and charity of our prayer to God. But the gospel also gives us Jesus' explicit teaching on prayer. Like a wise teacher, he takes hold of us where we are and leads us progressively toward the Father. Addressing the crowds following him, Jesus builds on what they already know of prayer from the Old Covenant and opens to them the newness of the coming kingdom. Then he reveals his newness to them in parables. Finally, he will speak openly of the Father and the Holy Spirit to his disciples, who will be the teachers of prayer in his church. From the Sermon on the Mount onwards, Jesus insists on conversion of heart, reconciliation with one's brother before presenting an offering on the altar, love of enemies, and prayer for persecutors, prayer to the Father in secret, not heaping up empty phrases, prayerful forgiveness from the depths of the heart, purity of heart, and seeking the kingdom before all else. This filial conversion is entirely directed to the Father. Once committed to conversion, the heart learns to pray in faith. Faith is a filial adherence to God beyond what we feel and understand. It is possible because the beloved Son gives us access to the Father. He can ask us to seek and to knock, since he himself is the door and the way. Father Jack. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, I think we can learn a lot from from the cross. I think that sound like that. Uh, I feel kind of silly even saying it out loud as I begin to think of all the saints who have said much more profound things than that about the cross and how 
um, if we really look at the at our at our patrimony, right, our spiritual patrimony, so much of it is derived from uh, meditation on the cross. Which and and when we say a meditation on the cross, we don't just mean um, kind of an uh, an imaginative prayer that is kind of empty of content, but ra- or or like a gazing upon the crucifix, both of which are real sources. Don't get me wrong. Um, but when we talk about meditation and theological reflection, you take what is revealed, which is scripture, and then you you go from there. So these words, these you know, as as we often refer to them, the seven last words of Christ are um, are exactly that source in which we draw so much goodness from. Um, I um, you know I can think of. Of several sa- several saints and and great theological writers who have written it, um, for example, Fulton Sheen has actually several books on the seven last words of Christ. And actually, uh, I forget who put it together. Maybe Ignatius Press might have put together an anthology on it. So it's like four books put together about the seven last words of Christ. It's really kind of um, amazing little thing. Say Charles Borromeo, I think, has another very classic one. But you know, and we could go on and on um, about how important these words are, not just um, the Catechism highlights them not just for their sake about the understanding of the cross or what they teach in terms of some other way, like Father forgive them, but rather how he is expressing himself that is so powerful, at least for our prayer. Um, but then, And then the Catechism turns to say how Christ explicitly teaches us to pray, right? Which he does. He says several different times, um, when you pray, or this is how you are or how you ought to pray. Now, uh, so far, um, the Catechism has uh, ignored, I won't say ignored, has purposefully uh, uh, waited to, to discuss the Lord's Prayer because the, one, of the final, one of the final sections is going to be that ex- an, a reflection on that, and a very beautiful one. Um, but, but when our Lord tells us how to pray at the Sermon on the Mount, as we discussed here, it is, that is how he says it. How are you to pray? Pray like this, our Father, right? So we know that Christ explicitly tells us what to do. We also should should learn, you know, and take take very seriously those things that he says. When he talks about a conversion of heart, a reconciliation with brother uh, be, uh, before presenting an offering on the altar, um, we shouldn't just say, oh, well, that's nice when it, when it works well. No, no, no. We especially when we know we have hurt someone else. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot pretend to pray while uh, while um, some, we know that we have hurt someone else. We have to turn to them. Um, not, o- not necessarily over and over again, um, we, but we need to make it explicit. You, I, I need you to know that I failed you. I need to know, I need you to know that though I cannot fix it myself, I want to apologize. That we, we, all, we all should have that that reality um, as in the forefront of our mind, that this is how Christ teaches us how to pray, how to go to the Father at all. The next is is that there has to be an, an element of faith in our prayer, which means that we have to have something missing. There has to be something hidden from us. Uh, we can't, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I remember or, or when I was in seminary, we started a group of praying for people who had converted, and it seemed odd Um at the time, and it was it is odd, uh, which is why. Um, but but eventually, it kind of got to this point of kind of recognizing, well, why don't we pray for that which we haven't seen yet, 
right? We can pray in Thanksgiving for the people who have converted. We can pray in Thanksgiving for, um, for any number of things. But, um, but you you don't we don't pray with that which we have seen, at least in terms of intercession. No, we we pray uh, to a hidden God, and the faith provides the certainty, um, and that is the pleasing gift, because then we aren't doing it based on our own actions and will but rather on God's, right? And we are recognizing the beauty of, of going for the giver and not just the gifts that he gives, that in faith it, it makes our, our whole life, but and especially our prayer, that much more effective because it then we then recognize it is always God's work and not our own.